Hey there, I'm Corey. This is the official tapes. We play the official releases from The Grateful Dead. That's on the radio program. And every so often, we also catch up with a guest. Hey, this is Cameron Sears. I'm the executive director for the Rex Foundation. For the first part, he's going to give us a history lesson on what the Rex Foundation is all about, how it's connected to The Grateful Dead. And then a little later on, he'll give us an update on what the Rex Foundation is doing during the time where there's really no live music, talking about the year of 2020, coronavirus, COVID-19, Cameron Sears, Rex Foundation, official tapes. I remember when we were at the UN, we were doing the rainforest benefit at Madison Square Garden, and somebody asked him, you know, how is it that a rock and roll band is holding a press conference at the United Nations talking about rainforest issues, rainforest protection. As only Jerry could do, he he was so quick-witted. He says, well, you know, it's sort of pathetic that the people that should be doing this work aren't, and we're the ones sitting here having to have this conversation. But because they're not doing it, we're here standing up for it. The room kind of looked around, you know, and I mean, there's some heavyweight characters and a lot press from the New York Times, all the big heavy outlets were there. And that was kind of the point that everybody, yeah, like, why is it up to a rock and roll band to kind of promote protecting the rainforest when, isn't that your job, people? Hey, this is Cameron Sears from the Rex Foundation, and you're listening to the official tapes. I started working for the band in 87. And then I worked as John McIntyre's assistant, who was the then manager. Then John left in 1990. I think I'd taken over most of the day-to-day stuff at that point. And then shortly after that, I became the president and CEO of Grateful Dead Productions. So did that for quite some time, actually. Rex Foundation grew out of the Grateful Dead's basic charitable mindset, which is to say, in the Bay Area, going back to the mid to late 60s, benefits were just part of your everyday life because there was a lot of things that needed support that weren't going to be supported unless bands, and I'm not saying exclusively Grateful Dead, but lots of bands would participate in things to support the emerging community in the Bay Area, and specifically in the Haight in San Francisco. So out of that grew a consistent number of requests coming through all the time to help with this and help with that. And the band would try and do as many as they could without it becoming burdensome or impacting their what they needed to do for their career. Eventually, that led to a brainstorm on the part of Danny Rifkin to establish the band's own foundation where they would do events for the foundation, fund the foundation with proceeds from the concerts, and then distribute the proceeds as they saw fit. We had been scrutinized over how the number of benefits were affecting our business from a tax perspective, and we needed to establish a legal entity to be able to do it because the amount of benefits that we're doing might have struck people as like unusual, you know? So there was a little scrutiny on that, but at the same time, we thought it was better to kind of respond 
to a broad array of uh, need as opposed to one, you know, there's only so many benefit concerts that you can do in any given year. And when the phone rings weekly with requests, whether it's save a, a certain, you know, forest or river or a school music program or a mural or arts program in an inner city or any of a number of social concerns that would come our way, we just couldn't answer them all. So rather than devote our attention to one or two specific things, we'd rather do what would be probably considered more of a shotgun blast and hit a wide array of things that cover all kinds of areas of concern and not be limited. In other words, it was a proactive response to a growing need for support of grassroots nonprofit organizations. And the support that they focused on was largely to organizations that were serving unique communities that had annual budgets of less than a million dollars, and in many cases, less than $100,000. So we would try and find people that were really doing innovative work that was close to the need, if you will, and were not garnering the support of big foundations or other funding sources, and whose communities might not be able to support them in and of themselves. And if we gave them five or $10,000, $10,000 would be our maximum grant, that you knew that that money was going to go right into the program that they were trying to support. And there wasn't a lot of fluff in what they were doing because they were so passionate about the work that they were doing. It was kind of a double benefit where we were able to come up with a process that made it more manageable for us and also uh, spread it in the widest way possible to a variety of areas that as an organization, most of the grant proposals came from within Grateful Dead and our close circle of friends and board of directors. And through that process, some people might be interested in the environment. Other people might be interested in community social services. Some people were interested in the arts. Some people were interested in protecting indigenous culture. So those varied interests, we were able to get this widespread exposure for the funding that we were granting at the same time having it be vetted by people who knew the people on a first-hand basis. And rather than reacting to whatever came in, they could proactively go out and select who they wanted to support. When you hang your shingle out and say, hey, we're here to give away money, you get inundated with proposals. And most of the major foundations have a whole department dedicated to reviewing grant proposals and assessing need and going through a protracted administrative process to determining the overall viability of any proposal that they might receive. We kind of go at it from the reverse in the sense that our board and our circle of deciders that have input, they're coming up with things on their own and they're vetting them themselves so that when we have a, a grant meeting, they will say, okay, this is a proposal. This is why I support it. This is what I've learned about it. It comes to us pre-vetted in a sense. And if a board member gets turned on to something and it doesn't quite pass their sniff test, they don't even bring it to the board. So everything that we get presented with is something that a board member has examined and given thoughtful consideration to before presenting it to the greater group for a decision.
The board has been relatively stable for quite some time. I think the one common thread, of course, is a love of the Grateful Dead and the community surrounding it, first and foremost. And then right there next to it is the desire to want to do good. So these are motivated people from various backgrounds. We want an eclectic representation on the board. So we've got some titans in tech. We've got some great legal minds. We've got some old pranksters with us. We've got young people. We've got people on Wall Street. We've got some promoters. We have just a very eclectic group that brings, again, fresh perspective to the conversation. So you cast a wider net and get better results with more diversity. As is often the case, Grateful Dead mirrors the community at large. I mean, you know, it's representative of the fans in a sense. So we have now granted to over 1,300 organizations to the tune of almost $10 million since our inception in 1984. And it's been really gratifying because many of these groups that we've started out with that were in their infancy have now grown into going entities that are surviving on their own right and doing amazing work uh, very well. It's exactly what we wanted was to give them a, a start and send them on their way and wish them the best, you know, basically. And almost all of them are still alive and kicking. Just recently, we made some grants, and one of our board members has a friend who travels around the world because that's what he likes to do, first of all, and on a very localized level. He gets embedded in communities is kind of his thing. And the first time he contacted us through this board member, uh, he had been in Kenya and came across a school that was being built, and everybody was helping build the school. From the youngest kid to the oldest elder, you know, they were, this was a community school. And he said, well, what else do you need? And basically it was like, we really need books and a library. Well, how much money would that take? $5,000. He contacted us. We sent him 5,000 bucks. They have a wonderful library. These kids are learning to read. That's sort of the pipeline that we operate with. It's like, if this friend of a friend has been there, he's on the he's boots on the ground, so to speak, right in the trenches, helping them build the library, helping them procure the books. This thing's bound to succeed. <laughs> it's boom, boom, boom. The same gentleman then goes on another trip and he's now in Guatemala and there's a group of women that are in a transitional living arrangement after having been trafficked for sex and they used music therapy as one of the therapies to help these women overcome that experience and they had a, a beautiful marimba there that somebody had gone in there and stolen from them so he says how about we send them a I, I can get a marimba built that'll be better and more beautiful than the one that they had and why don't we send them a marimba done you know, let's do that. That makes perfect sense. That's, we're into music therapy. 
We're into helping these women get back on their feet. This is an awesome thing and we can do that. That's great. And then just this last go round, we, a board member presented a grant. There's an individual in Togo who's creating a permaculture experience so that other farmers and people in the area can learn how to create permaculture farming so that the, the landscape is more durable, the produce is better, the land is treated with more respect, and uh, they don't have to uh, succumb to the commercial fertilizers and all the other stuff that their tradition doesn't want to have anyway. So for $5,000 again, he could buy a hectare of land, grow this permaculture base, create a, a community center where people can come and learn how to do it. And it's one person making a difference. It's a pretty cool thing. Now, as an individual, the odds of any one of us knowing about those three things that I just described is probably pretty remote. Dare I say, almost impossible. But who couldn't support that if, if it was brought to their attention? At the end of the meeting, you know, we all look at each other and go, that was, that was just great. But again, I want to go back and just say, without the community supporting what it is that we're getting turned on to, it doesn't happen. It is that sort of full circle experience that we uh, are participating in. To be honest, none of this would have been possible without the community surrounding the Grateful Dead. That's where it begins. That's the fuel. They might be the gasoline to, and we're the engine, you know, in a sense. So the community has rallied behind Rex in a big way because they show up for our events. They give us monthly donations. They stay in touch with us. And without that, I doubt very much that there would be much of a Rex Foundation, to be honest. And, you know, that sort of depth of character within the community at large and willingness to go with us where we grant, basically. We say we are who we grant. And the community has supported our decision making so that they can see who we grant to. And it maintains the same eclectic spin that it always has. But when you sit back and just thumb through some of the 1,300 grants that we've given over our duration, it just touches on so many unique and wonderful things that most of us may not ever know about, you know, honestly. I mean, yes, we know about, you know, the battle to save the rainforest, or we, we understand the higher level stuff. But what we're trying to do is get into the cracks a little bit and uh, support things that most people might not be aware of. But once they read about it, they're like, oh yeah, that's fabulous. That's, oh, that's pretty cool. And they get their minds blown a little bit. And I like to add that if we made 10 grants and somebody gave us $10, a dollar from that $10 is going to each of those grantees. So now when you're choosing how you do your charitable giving, if you're in a position to do it, You've now touched 10 things as opposed to one. And 10 things that you might not have ever found out about, 10 things that could really use that dollar. And then all of a sudden, it just kind of blows up from there. And that's sort of, to me, the power of the Rex Foundation is that we can touch all these different things, many of which 
people haven't heard of. Some of which people might go, I don't know about that one so much, but other people might say, I really like that one, <laughs> you know? So just like every Grateful Dead concert, some people would say, well, I didn't, I didn't really like that version of that song. And somebody else said, are you kidding me? That solo was amazing. It's the same sort of thing. There's a little bit of everything in it for everyone. And I think that makes for a really interesting conversation and, and dare I say tapestry, you know, it's, it's got many colors. had such a great experience with Days Between. Candidly, we were trying to figure out, well, how are we going to be able to continue to make grants when most of our revenue comes from live events? And we're not going to be able to have any live events, probably for maybe even another year or more. So we really need to kind of drill into this a little bit. And I had engaged two very forward-thinking women, Tori Pitarelli and Hillary Gleason, to help support our digital initiatives with Rex. And we decided that why don't we try and put together a virtual experience? And I said, well, you know, maybe we could do something with the Days Between concept, which of course is the day between Jerry's birth and his death, you know, August 1st to August 9th. And let's see what we can pull together and use that as kind of the storyline, if you will, or the whole event could center on that. The estate was totally behind it. We ended up getting close to 80 artists to contribute music that they had either recorded specifically for the event or had pre-recorded, all of which had a Grateful Dead slant on it. We had some interviews with grantees. We had interviews with friends. We did a bunch of different stuff. At the end of the day, you know, we were able to raise about $150,000, which is a huge accomplishment for us in a short period of time. I mean, we the idea was born in the beginning of July, and we had like three weeks to pull this whole thing together. It was just an amazing effort on everyone's part to make it happen. And we had over 3 million uh, unique visitors to the website to watch it. So a lot of the artists that participated in this were young emerging artists of the last, let's say, 10 or 15 years, a lot of whom are the Molly Tuttles of the world, the infamous String Dusters, you know, people who are, who are now maybe household names, but are, weren't probably, were barely alive and kicking when Jerry was alive. So they've taken that ethos, they've incorporated a little bit of that into themselves, and they've extended it in this music that they're performing and in the community that they're supporting at the same time. So they, by the, the virtue of the existence of what Grateful Dead did musically, that's influenced the musical landscape. And now I would hasten to add that the philanthropy that they undertook has also changed the landscape of how musicians view the community that they're part of and how to give back. I think there's an elevated consciousness amongst all musicians about how they can improve the world's circumstance through what they do normally, which is what performing music. And not only is music in and of itself healing, but if you're able to find a way to funnel a few bucks to some people, that's a win-win. The event itself was really gratifying and 
from the, the way that it came together. We were able to pay all these different artists a little stipend to, to provide this footage so that they had some time, some money as a result of the tough times too. It was all very positive. So now fast forward to December, we're going to take that same model and we're just in the evolutionary stages. I, I don't have a lot of the details worked out that I can announce, but we're going to do a recreation of Working Man's Dead because last year we did a recreation of American Beauty. So it makes sense to do a recreation of Working Man's Dead. We're going to have some star power as part of that that I'll be able to reveal shortly. We'll probably have a section in there that might have a little bit of the best of from Days Between because there was a lot of music in nine nights of live streams that I know I didn't see it all. And somebody would call me up the next day. Hey, did you see that part? And I go, God, I missed that. You know, damn. And I'd, I'd have to go back and try and find it. So we're going to try and maybe incorporate some of that. We're going to have our auction. We're also going to try and come up with some interesting ways to incorporate breakout rooms and make it a little bit more interactive and try and in some way mimic that kind of communal experience that we've shared at the Fillmore all these years. I mean, it's been an event that has been going on at least 10 years, probably longer. The vibe in the room is always so joyous. It's an event that people look forward to every year. So the music's always been phenomenal. We get a really great cast of characters to come in and play. And uh, we're hoping to do the same this year. I'm sure we will. And December 12th, tune in. It's going to be fun. Little Kids Rock was an organization that we funded back in the early 2000s. David Wish was a teacher here in the Bay Area. He saw a need where there was schools in communities that didn't have music programs. And he wanted to come up with a way to create curriculum for them that they could then get some musical education. Of course, that was right in our wheelhouse. So we thought, well, why the heck not? So he started with barely anything. I think we might have been one of his first grants, if not the first. And Little Kids Rock has grown from that little seed into a mighty oak. They are a big, fully functioning nonprofit that is now with the advent of the delivery mechanisms that the internet provides, they can deliver content to any school, anywhere. And kids can avail themselves to the website for tutorials and how-tos. And if you look at the Little Kids Rock website, it's a very robust platform where if you, even as an adult, if you wanted to learn chord changes to songs or start to teach yourself how to play guitar or piano or bass, there's tutorials on that website that will help you do that. And so we thought, well, now kids are kind of cooped up at home. They're not able to go to school. They aren't able to get that musical education, even if they have it available to them. Why not come up with a way to bring a little heightened awareness about what Little Kids Rock is up to? And so we put together a video with some notable stars. You know, we have Don Was, Jeff Kameni, Jay Lane, Billy Strings, amongst others, with the kids of the program doing Touch of Grey. It was a really great feel-good moment. People are totally behind the project. The fellas in Los Lobos are part of it. It's got a multicultural element. There's Trombone Shorty came through. You know, I mean, it's just it's been a great project. And the song with 
in and of itself is positive. You add these children into it and their enthusiasm and some of them are, are young, some of them are teenagers, but they're in full voice, fully engaged, and you can see the power of music right there. It's a beautiful thing. It's gotten a great response and we're very proud of it, honestly. I've done a lot of work with the organization that's supporting the Rex Rohde Fund, uh, Sweet Relief, which was started by Victoria Williams. When she became ill, friends and, and fans helped her through a medical financial crisis. And when she got through it, she had some leftover money and she decided that she should kind of pay it forward with what was left. And she created this nonprofit and has supported all sorts of musicians who have found themselves in financial difficulty, many in the later stages of life, whose royalty and touring activities are behind them and finding themselves in a difficult financial circumstance due to the expenses associated with medical care. So they started raising money and people would fund specific funds for various musicians who needed help. When COVID hit, the board had met and we had determined that we really wanted to try and support not just musicians, but really the crew. They can be the forgotten element of what makes a show great. And at this point in time, they don't have the largesse to weather the storm. So let's see what we can do to offer them a little assistance while we wait for the, the sun to shine sometime soon, hopefully. It's sort of a departure for us, to be honest, because A, we're more focused on nonprofit, community-based organizations. We don't fund individuals, other than for a few awards that we have in specific areas. And so I reached out to Sweet Relief and I said, would you guys be interested in doing this with us? And I said, we'd like to call it the Rex Rohde Fund. I'm really happy to say that the Rex Foundation gave Sweet Relief, Rex Rohde Fund, about $25,000 from the proceeds from Days Between. And then by virtue of this fund existing, the fact that we created it, Hardly Strictly Bluegrass, our cousins here in San Francisco, they donated 100% of the net proceeds from their virtual festival that they just held from their merchandise. And we've gotten another 40000 from them and now the fund is over $75,000. It shows what, with a little initiative, and it, it just kind of fell together, and it's now it's, it's up and running, and we're making grants to crew members that are in need, and we want to raise more money for it, for sure. And because of the response that it's received, we're hopeful that even after the pandemic subsides and things return to normal, we know that there's going to be crew members in need, just like we know there's going to be musicians that have need. Sweet Relief will be handling all of that, and we feel so comfortable in trusting them. They have a process. We won't even really have any direct interaction with the recipients, but we are so thrilled to be able to help them. It's just a, a necessary thing. I mean, we all have to pull together now, and you have to start with your own people, really, and hopefully be able to move it outward. And we want to hopefully maintain this for as long as we can. It's sort of surprising in a sense that as a result of the lemons that the COVID pandemic represents for all of us, 
we have found a way to make some a little bit of lemonade out of it all, to be honest. With the fan base that the Grateful Dead had, here I'm going to get a, a little uh, philosophical, but if you're interested in Grateful Dead music, you're interested in where it takes you. You're not looking for the same experience every time you show up to a show or every time you put on a live show or on your stereo at home or whatever. You're interested in the journey. And so that community then comes out to our shows and they're with us. You know, we're together. We're one and the same. We're, we're yin and yang. And they say, well, gosh, the Grateful Dead are doing these benefits for all these people. I want to support that because if they think it's a good idea, I'm willing to think that it's a good idea and let's see where it goes. And that's really how Rex Foundation was able to succeed over time. And of course, the band donates its service to create the attraction. We take the fans' money and invest it in all these different groups that we hope will end up making the world a better place for all of us. I think the willingness to take that bet and go with us, the makeup of the board, the makeup of the grants, everything about it is designed to be kind of full spectrum. We're not in one area of interest. We're trying to, to approach all kinds of different things.